Welcome, welcome, everyone. This is Cheers to Leaving. I'm Rachel. And I'm Molly. And we have a special guest today. This is Erica Smith with us. Um, She is an award-winning sexuality educator and consultant. She specializes in human sexuality, sex ed, and abortion. She also developed Purity Culture Dropout Program for those raised in Purity Culture to learn about all the sex ed they missed growing up. Welcome, Erica. Thank you so much for having me. We are so excited to hear about all the things that you're doing. Um, Mm -hmm. I know we want to talk a little bit to you about um, Purity Culture Dropout and like hear about what that program is and how our listeners can work with you. I think that's going to be a super big resource. Um, I'm also really excited to talk to you about... um, your new class that you're oh, doing. Yeah. yeah this, is, con- this is perfect timing because all I've done all today is spent time researching porn research. Yes. Oh, you're going to talk about porn. Though. Yeah, your porn, <laughs> your porn browser history. No, we're going to talk about porn today as well, which is, I think, kind of a trigger topic for people who grew up in the church. So it's going to be cool to hear um, a different kind of take. My only take on it was the fight the new drug and porn kills marriages and um, it just a really negative perspective on porn and erotica and the industry. Um, but yeah, we're excited to have you here. So many topics to cover. Yeah, I'm happy <laughs> mm-hmm. to talk about absolutely anything you want to. Okay, so first things first, can you give us just like a little bit of background about who you are? We've read your bio, so we know your professional background, but like <laughs> who you are and how you got into this work. Yeah, so I um, I always want to state up front, especially when I'm doing a podcast that's about like deconstruction, that I was not raised to be very Christian. I was raised in what I consider a casually Christian family where we're very like culturally Christian. We celebrate the big holidays. We went to church like on Christmas Eve and that was it. Oh, you're um, a priester. <laughs> is that what we're called? We, we call so them funny. priesters. Yeah. Christmas was, and Easter. <laughs> we were barely priesters. We didn't do Easter. Um, so wow. yeah, I, I was not raised to think that God was scary. I was raised to think that like, oh, you know, everyone goes to heaven unless you're like a murderer. And that was, that was kind of my version of, of Christianity. Real, so, real soft Christianity. Soft. <laughs> How yeah. lovely for you. <laughs> How I nice. Am, the more I learn, the more I'm coming to realize that that was a privilege. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah, what got me interested in doing sexuality work, I, I really started being interested in this stuff, I would say, when I was a teenager. Um I I have felt like a feminist and was a self-identified feminist since I was like 11 or 12 and not because of anyone around me telling me like that's the way I should be. I just was really interested in like gender inequality um and I was able to see that stuff as a kid and get really mad about it. And by the time I was in high school, I was like a full-fledged like feminist, like riot girl. It was the 90s. I was really interested in all of the conversations around like gender equality. So then when I went to college, um, I majored in women's studies and I found that the classes I liked the most had to do with sexuality, sexual health, things like reproductive justice. 
And that's where I really put my focus. And it was fascinating because even in in my college years, I started doing sex ed as like an activist type thing with my other friends. We were doing a lot of like feminist activism on campus, and we thought that sex education should be part of that. And we received so much pushback that it was kind of like an early lesson in how upset people get when you want to talk about sex. And you just, you know, we were like feminists always get a rap that we talk about it as in the bad stuff. Um, We talk about assault, but we wanted to talk about pleasure and fun and consent and enjoyment. And it really upset a lot of people. And from then on, I always just kind of, I knew this was an important thing to focus on. I felt very passionate about it. Um, Sex is something that affects every single person. And we grow up with all of this messaging that it is supposed to be great, but also terrifying and horrible and will literally ruin your life. And Mm. don't have sex or you'll get pregnant and die. And die. (laughs) You will die. die. Um, Yeah. So that's, that's kind of my origin story. Um, It was, you know, I I get asked a lot and maybe you're going to ask this as well. Like, you know, what is your connection to like, why do you care about the purity culture stuff? And it's honestly because in my work as a sex educator and in my work in abortion care, we faced so much just, it was just a constant battle um, with like the religious right, who was always trying to take all the funding for abstinence only education. And I was witnessing firsthand how ineffective abstinence only education Mm -hmm. is and continues to be um, and how restricting people's right to access abortion is harmful. And so it's kind of like I've just been up against that my whole career and very pissed about it. And that's my connection. So you're ready to go in and uh, and, and do a rescue mission That's and save of, all the people who are in purity culture. Everyone in purity culture, just to, I always say just like, I, I want to help because I feel like that's a big fuck you to the establishment, right? Yeah. If I'm mm-hmm. like, all, all the folks that were harmed, I will tell you the real stuff. I will tell you the real shit and I won't judge you and I won't traumatize you and I won't, you know make you feel bad for not knowing it like right and that's yeah so that's kind of how I do things that's big about you being aware of the shame that is so entrenched inside purity culture and evangelical Christianity is like the culture of shame and judgment um which is so opposite to what they say they believe in but um I I just find that like purity culture has seeped into the secular world too. It's not just inside of conservative Christian homes. This is also like in our public school systems, you know, where girls are being shamed for wearing things that are not quite dress code and um, being sent home because their, their shorts were a little too short or their bra strap was showing. So, um, and I mean, even just like the fact that we can't have comprehensive sex education in public school systems. Like I, I, I was homeschooled. My mom gave me the basic of the basic sex ed. She taught me about my period. And then it wasn't until I was like 13 or 14. She was like, well, I should probably tell you about sex. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) P and V education. Don't do it until you get married and you're ready to have babies. That was kind of the extent of it. Everything else that I learned, I was seeking that out on my own or someone else told me about it. Mm -hmm. But I feel like I myself actually got more education even in the bare minimum than some kids who went to public school who were having sex at 13 but they they didn't even know anything about what was actually happening 
And they went to public school. (laughs) I was going to say that. I mean, for for someone who did grow up in this culture, you you received more than a lot of people. Knowing that a penis goes in a vagina is a lot more than some people get. Right. Yeah. Right. Most people just like learn from their friends. Like, oh, do you know what sex (laughs) is? Yeah, or the internet. Yeah. I definitely looked up how to have sex on the internet. Or because they get molested (laughs) and that's how you learn. It's because it happened to you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah trauma, assault. I mean, I I'm wondering if, are you all familiar with um, Dr. Tina Shermer Sellers? She does some really great work in this area too, Mm-mm. but she wrote a fantastic, she's a clinical psychologist and she wrote a really great book called Sex God and the Conservative Church. She wrote this book, I don't know, I, it was probably like 2017, I think that her book came out but it's specifically for clinicians that work with couples who are having sexual issues as a result of religious shame. And what Dr. Tina has found is that people raised in purity culture with such shame, silence, and misinformation around sex often exhibit the same symptoms as people who actually were sexually abused as children. Wow. Wow. That That explains a lot. It does, but... (laughs) That's insane to me. Yeah, it That's is. That's crazy. I mean, like... Can you repeat that again, please? Yeah, I will be happy to repeat it. Um, and I will say this is this is the hypothesis and assertion of Dr. Tina Shermer Sellers, who's brilliant. I'll write that down. Um, and in her book, Sex, God, and the Conservative Church, she talks about how people who were raised in purity culture, meaning with silence, fear, and misinformation around sex often exhibit the same symptoms as people who were actually sexually abused as children. And just some of those symptoms include like extreme fear and aversion around sex, um, flashbacks, freezing up, actual physical issues like vaginismus or pelvic floor dysfunction. Mm. Um, you know, there's there's a lot more, but that's, that's the gist of it. Erica, I have to say, th- I had a feeling that there was a correlation, but I never had anyone put it into words until you just said that. Um, I, I did a certification. I'm a massage therapist by trade and I did a certification in pelvic floor therapy in 2020. And I learned about how like the instructor taught us a little bit about how people who grow up in really conservative or religious homes many times will, um, have similar symptoms in their pelvic floor compared to someone who's like a sexual assault survivor. And I'm like, that's so weird. I wonder why maybe it's just, you know, shame. I don't know. But, um, and then like hearing my friends and, and, you know, former friends that I grew up with, you know, talk about their issues around sex. And it's like, it wasn't making sense. I'm like, you're literally displaying trauma symptoms, but you've, you've never been traumatized in, in the, in the way that the world would like to say that trauma is supposed to look right. Yeah. So that's very powerful. And I hope our listeners are feeling really validated right now. I feel validated. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I feel like I've spoken about this on different episodes that sometimes it feels like, like my trauma wasn't as severe as some other people's trauma. So like my symptoms, like the symptoms I have in my body and the way my body's keeping the score isn't valid because maybe I didn't go through the same kind of thing, but like, that is so validating to hear. Yeah. Your body doesn't give a shit in no. what way the trauma happened. If your body recognizes it as trauma, 
um, then that is the very definition of trauma. That's really big. It's really, really big. That's wild. So on the subject of purity culture, um, I wanted to ask about the course, the purity culture dropout. I actually spoke with Blair from Talk Purity to me a couple days ago. I just saw the um, clip of that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So it was actually perfect because she mentioned it in the post or not the post. She mentioned it in our episode and then she mentioned you. And I was like, well, that's perfect because we're going to be talking to Erica soon. Um, So instead of having, I mean, she told me it was super helpful for her, but instead of asking her to explain the course I thought it would be perfect since we're having you on to talk to us about it kind of what you do um she said it was eight weeks I think I believe so my class is so what the purity culture dropout program is that is when somebody signs up to do individual intensive work with me and it's for six sessions but people can add on if they feel like there's more stuff they need to work on um and it doesn't look the same for anybody. What I do with Purity Culture Dropout is I meet somebody and kind of do a big assessment of what your needs are, your experiences, where you are with your sexuality, where you want to be with your sexuality, what topics you want to learn about and work through. And then based on that information, uh, we start having conversations about all of those things. I give assignments in between our calls Um, The assignments might look like, I want you to read part of this book. I want you to watch this TED Talk. I want you to do some of the work in the um, sexual values workbook that I wrote, or I want you to journal about this or consider this. And by the end of the course, the goal is for you to have met whatever goals you set for yourself. And that can be very different depending on the individual. So for some folks, it's like, I want to get more assertive in my communication. I want to learn how to talk to my children about sex. I want to be more comfortable with masturbation. I want to explore my gender identity and my sexual identity. Um, I want to learn about porn and if it can be consumed ethically. Like there's tons of things. A lot of, a lot of people, especially um, female assigned folks are very, very worried about like pregnancy and they want the the truth about birth control and mm-hmm. pregnancy prevention. Lots of folks want to know about STIs and how to prevent them and then also how to work through shame feelings. So it is, again, like a very different experience for each person that goes through it. Yeah. I just think this would have been so helpful for me when I like was leaving purity culture and starting to become sexually active. I just was, I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know what was going on. Like I had my first pregnancy scare and like, I remember my college roommate like took me to Walgreens and like helped me buy a plan B pill, but it wasn't really a pregnancy scare. Like I probably didn't even need to take it. I was just like overreacting. Like I just think of all these little things that happened in my like developmental years as a sexual being and being like, Oh my God, this course would have been so helpful. Like, I feel like my anxiety would have been so much lower. Yeah. And I work with people at all different stages in their kind of post purity culture journey. I work with, I've worked with a lot of people who have never had sex with another person. So folks that would consider themselves, um, you know, virgins in the sense that we use that word. And then I, I also work with people that are in long-term relationships, married people. Um, it's, Really, there's, I feel like something everyone uh, can get out of it if they Mm -hmm. feel like they just can't untangle that 
shame stuff or they're like, I've been lied to my whole life. I just want to know the truth about things. Right. And yeah, so lots of people have worked with me who are like just having their first sexual experiences, but also people that have had plenty and still feel like they're they're grappling with a lot. Well, I'm sure that I could yeah. find lots of things to uh, get your help with. I mean, like, <laughs> it's not like I'm like a sexual savant, but <laughs> I love that it's so personalized too. Yes, to your yeah. own individual needs. It's not just like a course that you take. No, and I'm, honestly, I based the design of this on the work that I previously did working with um, young people in juvenile detention yes. for a very long time. I worked. Um, and I live in Philadelphia, so it was with young people in the Philadelphia juvenile justice system. And I worked for a hospital-based program that aimed to prevent unwanted sexual health outcomes among youth that were considered very vulnerable and high risk. Mm-hmm. So I would meet um, mostly LGBTQ youth or young women in the jail and do these assessments on them and figure out, like, what's what's happening in your life? And for most of these kids, it was like a history of sexual abuse. Um, often people were already parents or they were pregnant, um, young people who were HIV positive or very high risk for HIV. Um, and, and I would tailor all of the education and referrals and stuff that I did for them deeply to their own individual experience. And it would be radically different for like a 13 year old trans girl that's interested in hormone therapy or a 16 year old mom of two, you know, there, there's just so nobody is the same. So it was based on that work that I was like, I could make something for folks coming out of purity culture that is also very tailored to the individual experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's brilliant. So brilliant. Do you want to talk any more about uh, the juvenile work you did in the Philly system? I'm just curious about it. Like, how how did you decide that that was the group of people you wanted to target for sex education? I just feel like that's very different, I guess, than the normal route. So that wasn't my creation. I did not start the program. Um, What happened is young people in child welfare systems, kids that experience poverty, um, housing instability, who are affected by racism, who are affected by um, like family separation stuff, tend to be at high risk for like unwanted sexual health outcomes. And this is something that public health people, um, you know, figured out a long time ago. And Mm -hmm. so Whenever the program was developed, I I work for a children's hospital. I still work for a children's hospital, but now my work with them focuses specifically on trans youth. So the children's hospital was like, you know, it's a CHOP, Children's Hospital Philadelphia. Like, I'm just going to say their name. (laughs) So CHOP has a lot of wonderful programs that do community outreach and target people in the community. And we had an HIV program for young people who... Back in the day, we had a lot of people born with HIV to positive mothers, and they were growing into adolescence, and we were seeing that they had very unique needs as like 16-year-olds that had been living with HIV their whole lives. And that program was like, we also have a lot of teens that are behaviorally acquiring HIV, meaning that they are getting it from sexual contact. And so we decided to do a prevention program 
and, you know, of all the young people in the city of Philadelphia who could use the help the most, the the population of kids in detention and child welfare was very high on the list. Mm -hmm. So when I began that job, I, I was I was so young when I started that work. I was like 23 years old when I first got the job. So that I was technically still an adolescent. Um, <laughs> we medically yeah. consider adolescents <laughs> like up to age 24. And I was 23. I was from like bumfuck Pennsylvania. And I had just moved <laughs> to the city. And I had already been working in abortion care. And I did not ever think, oh, I want to work with teens. It wasn't a thing that I set out to do. But I got the job and I stayed there for 17 years because I loved it so wow. much. Yeah. So dang. The, the, the and that's a I, heavy job to have too. It like the age of 23 and you're hearing these kids' oh yeah. stories and helping them navigate their health. Wow. I'm so glad you're like asking me about this because it's truly some of the most important work I've ever done in my life. And it feels like so far in the past sometimes. Yeah. It was when I left that job that I started my own sex ed business and started purity culture dropout before then I had always been employed full time in this, this hospital setting. And I am still very connected to the program. I'm still very connected to some of the young people I worked with. In fact, just this week on my Instagram, I raised money for one of the young women I used to work with in that program. Oh, I saw that post. Was that That's crazy. She's someone I met when she was an adolescent um, in juvenile detention. And now she's a 23-year-old single mom and really needed help uh, financially. Her her children were in danger of being taken away because she couldn't even buy beds for them. Oh, my God. And, yeah. So I'm still deeply involved in in, with some of the folks that I knew then. And it was an absolutely – just a huge honor to get to be trusted by the young people I worked with and have them share all their, their life with me and be able to teach them about sex and their bodies and relationships in ways that they weren't having those conversations elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That was, it was a really incredible part of my career. Yeah, well, I think amazing. the level of awareness that you brought these kids into that they would have never experienced within their own bodies it's so powerful. I mean, like I think about the, the, the basic work I do in helping guide people into their bodies. And like, this is like next level teaching people about their health and about risks and about sex and relationships and navigating all of that and their sexuality and their gender identity. All of that is so big. And I mean, it's, it, there's so many people who fall through the cracks. You can have excellent sex education, but have zero input about gender identity. I think that's, that's a big one right now. Um, mm-hmm. that I myself am, am working through is, is okay. I've been educated. I've educated myself on, on really solid, like sex ed stuff, but like gender, can we talk about gender? Gender is weird. Gender <laughs> is. is so weird. What is gender? It is, is gender- weird. And it keeps getting weirder because we just keep asking questions about it. Yeah. Um, Cause like, is gender really a thing or everyone it- thinks so? Yeah. Like, like, is it something that we put on? Is it something that we're born with? Is it something that we we reenact? Are we playing roles? Like I'm I'm just really <laughs> I think um, as religious people too, it's like Yeah. We are so brainwashed into there are only two genders. Yes. And so I, and I you think, have the hyper versions of them, like yes. hyper femininity. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, hyperfemininity, hypermasculinity. The man yeah. is the head of the household. The woman submits to the man. Um, this, these are your roles. These are your roles. If you step outside of the roles, you're going to be ostracized. <laughs> yeah, like, and I think that's. It's also been hard as gender becomes more fluid too in society. At least for me, I've personally just struggled with wrapping my brain around these things because of how I was raised and how mm-hmm. it was so like, no, this is what being a female is. This is what being a woman is. And now people are redefining it and I think that's great but I'm just over here like wait what like Like, confusing is this (laughs) okay is this is like it feels wrong I'm not saying it is wrong Mm -hmm. but it feels wrong just from like what we were taught growing up and I personally hope to grow more in that area but like man it's like you don't understand like how deep the indoctrination runs until like you start getting faced with these ideas that really challenge what you were taught for like the first 20 years of your life. Absolutely. And I will add this, and maybe this will make you feel a bit better, but the way that we think about gender now and the you know way that folks are conceptualizing it is so new from the way it was even five, 10 years ago. Oh yeah, so, that's true. And this whole time I've been in this field, I've been an openly queer person I am married to a transgender man. We do LGBTQ trainings together and we're both, I'm in my early forties. My husband's about to turn 40 and we hear new gender words all the time that we are like, literally, what does that mean? Um, (laughs) Y'all are the, y'all are the old LGBTQ. Then we have a new generation of it where it's like, uh, I know. Wait, wait, I'm wait. Like, what are neo pronouns? I know. So I'm, I mean, when we do trainings, we reassure folks, you know, we're doing LGBT competency trainings for like organizations and yeah. medical professionals. And he and I are always like, if you feel out of touch, if you feel like you don't know what the hell is going on, it's okay because all of this stuff is really new. Um, folks were not thinking about gender in these terms before we weren't using all of the words that we've developed to discuss identity. Mm-hmm. And there are definitely times and he and I come across words and I work with um, transgender youth that are in the tween age group. So a lot of yeah. the kids I work with are 10 to 14 years old and they're the ones at the forefront of all this like right. new gender thinking. So like, for example, I run these support groups and sometimes I have kids that come in and they're like, well, my gender is this and my pronouns are this. And I'm just sort of like, taking it in my brain and being like, I need to find out more about this. And, and it's, it, information changes so quickly in this area. So just when you think you might be wrapping your head around it, you're going to get challenged again. And even I experienced that as someone who's done this work for a long time. So yeah, just, just saying in case that helps you feel any better. (laughs) I think it's, it's just good to keep an open mind and accept people as they come to you. Things are forever changing. Yeah. (laughs) And if someone is like, Hey, this is how I would like to be addressed, trying your very best to respect that and and make a point of doing that just to help them feel like validated as a human being. Yeah. Yeah. Because it doesn't affect us, right? Yeah. It's not our experience. It's not, it's not going to affect us one way or another, but for them, it, it could be very, very deep just as Mm -hmm. much as like getting their pronouns wrong can be a very very deep and painful experience for someone um or someone like me who's just like always kind of been this really fluid queer kid but had no language to to describe it and um didn't even know there was an allowance for it and so spent the majority of my life like literally in a closet like (laughs) i don't i don't know what this is that i'm feeling and then it wasn't until um 
younger members of my family started um, qu- make, having these questions and, and bringing them up and, I'm, and talking to me about it. And I'm like, oh my God, I feel the same way about my gender and my identity. And that makes so much sense. And I never had words for it. And I'm so excited that you have words for it. How cool is that? That I now share this experience with you and we're both expressing it in different ways. Like I wake up some days and I'm like, oh yeah, masculine all day long. (laughs) And then the way I dress changes, the way I stand changes, the way I talk changes. It's like this shift that happens inside me because my masculine energy is here to for the day, you know, yeah. but then tomorrow I could wake up and it's like, <laughs> I am a feminine queen. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like this whole other identity that shows up. And so it's just, it's interesting to me being like a very fluid person and, and being like, it's interesting to me that people can feel so separated from their assigned gender, but so in tuned with the one they weren't assigned with that they, they just like, are like, no, that's me. And they put it on and it's there to stay. That's weird to me because I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm always floating between the two like and I always have since I was a young young kid so it's just really gender so interesting it's like we could do a whole podcast about it (laughs) and someone is I'm sure at this very moment (laughs) gender and sexuality both are like topics that we're never done learning about not just intellectually but about ourselves like I tell people all the time that your sexuality and the people you're attracted to and the things you're interested in will surprise you for your whole life if you're open to receiving that information. Yeah. You might be 10 years down the road and find yourself like attracted to someone that you were like, I would have never in a million years thought I'd be attracted to that (laughs) person. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or you might find yourself like expressing your sexuality differently or being interested in different things. And you know, we're all just so different, but I think if we're open to being curious about it, we will discover new things about ourselves forever. I think, I think we'll also discover that a lot of us are more fluid than we realize when it comes to gender and sexuality. I, I think that the binary and gender roles and all of that is just social conditioning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, we're actually all very fluid. Most people are. Most people have that. Yeah. Oh, so cool. I'm going to change gears just a little bit because I do want to talk to you about your upcoming course. Yes. That's all about porn. And God, this is a touchy one. (laughs) I've I've been thinking about doing this one for like well over a year. And and it's, I've been definitely thinking long and I almost said long and hard. Unintended. <laughs> that's what she said. <laughs> I'm so glad you're a that's what she said person. Because that's oh, yes. like the most frequent uttered phrase in my household. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Given the topics of conversation you're probably having. <laughs> so so you're going to be teaching this class about porn. Um, is this going to be an in-person class or virtual? Or how are you hosting this class? It is virtual. So um, I do all my webinars over Zoom. And people can either attend in real time and interact and like ask questions or they can register and then not attend live and everyone who registers gets a recorded copy of the class so for people okay, that don't okay. care about acting asking questions or interacting with me and are like i just want to watch this in private uh, on my own time both like both i do with my happen. porn <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> okay so this class is happening on the 21st of august this mm-hmm. month so yeah. our listeners can take your webinar 
Okay, yeah. I can take your webinar, You can right? take the webinar. Okay, people, cool. People can register right up until the class starts, which is the evening of Sunday, August 21st at 6 p.m. Eastern. So if you want to register like five minutes before that, you can still do it. Okay. And it will be available for purchase on my website after. Um, so if you miss that deadline, like you could still, you could still buy the recording. Yes. Okay. So I'm just like looking at your Instagram post that you made about the class right now. And I would love if you could talk a little bit about why you're hosting this class, what the class is going to be about. Um, you don't have to give away all the juicy secrets because I want our listeners to go take the class. I want them to attend the webinar. So, but if we can just kind of start this discussion, um, and kind of get into the meat of it. Yeah. Great questions because even if I wanted to give away all the info in the class, I could not (laughs) because there's so much. Um, The reason that I've been thinking about teaching this class is because of all the sexuality topics that I touch on with the folks I work with. Porn comes up again and again as something that people were only told really bad things about. So there's a lot of shame around interest in it, a lot of shame around watching it, a lot of trauma around maybe someone else's use that affected a relationship. And there's there's so many facets of like untangling porn and morality and ethical porn and ethical consumption that I it's almost hard for me to even know where to start. So I want to talk to people about what research actually says about porn consumption. So a lot of what people who grew up with the um, porn kills love and fight the new drug mm-hmm. and a lot of what people learned about it, I don't think folks are entirely aware that it's based on very faulty research and that it's a Mormon campaign. So the folks that created fight the new drug um, are all like LDS church members and they base their information on extremely faulty science and also on their own theology. So whenever porn was declared a public health crisis, that wasn't public health people. Um, that wasn't it was science. the church. It was the church. Yeah, it well, wasn't scientists. It, was it wasn't researchers. LDS, which is funny because the evangelical church doesn't really like the LDS. So... Yeah, right? It's, That's it's, interesting. That's so interesting. interesting. Yeah, because Fight the New Drug was like huge in my youth group. Yeah. And they're like evangelicals. Yeah, so interesting. And then all these, um, you know, going back even further, I think it's important to know that like we as human beings are turned on sexually by sexualized images, by sexual sounds, by thinking fantasy thoughts. It's mm-hmm. just how we are wired. So Once again, it's a very human sexual response that we've heaped a lot of shame onto. Like, no one should ever look at this stuff. No one should ever want to see this stuff. But ever since the beginning of time, anytime a new technology has been invented, one of the first things that people used it for was something pornographic. (laughs) So So we're going back to the letterpress. We're going back to the Mm. telephone. People were all, they were immediately making smut as soon as videography was invented. Um, when I was in grad school, I went, one of the places I went to study sexuality was in Prague and there's a museum of sex there. And I watched one of the very first porns ever created. It was made in like the 1920s and it was a silent film. 
So like people have, people were, were sexually driven like this. It's, it's wild to me. It's like, yes, this is how we perpetuate the species. We want to have sex and we mm-hmm. want to think about sex. We want to look at sex. This is not a new thing. I know that the way the internet has created access to porn is a new thing. And I know the way um, technology means you can like get it 24 seven and you can access more and more. Um, I don't know, kind of like extreme porn scenarios is something to talk about. Yeah. So you know, there, one of the things I'm getting at with this class, I, I've thought so much about how I can approach this topic in a way that does not trigger or traumatize people. So, you know, you're not going to see porn in the class. I'm not going to be showing you images of it, but I'm going to be talking about why we like it, why we look at it, what the research says about our brains in pornography, um, Mm -hmm. which is that it does not cause any changes in the brain. That is like such a huge made up statement. Mm -hmm. And I want to also talk to people about how it can be created ethically, how there are a lot of studios that are making porn where the performers are completely in control of everything they're doing. So I will be joined by a friend who is a pretty big name in the industry, and she is going to very generously talk about her own experience, like working um, in the adult film industry and what that's been like for her. And I also want to take time to talk about porn literacy, how it's important that if we do view pornography, that we understand that it's fantasy, that we understand that it is acting. Um, It's like the way that you don't think um, real life is like a blockbuster film. So real actual sex between humans doesn't often resemble a porn. Um, Mm -hmm. So how to talk to kids about that, how to, you know, look at it through a, a, a porn literate lens ourselves. So there's, there's so much I want to cover that I'm always as an educator, my biggest problem is fitting everything I want to talk about into the time limit. So yeah. I'm already like, shit, I'm not going to be able to cover everything I want to cover, but there's so much. Part two. Yeah. So part, part two. two. Yeah. yeah. You can always do a second. Yeah. You can always host a second webinar. I mean, and a third webinar and a fifth webinar and just have, have <laughs> a whole true. series. Yeah. I, I think it's really important to get all these perspectives on porn because like the only education I have around porn is that it does change your brain um, because of fight the new drug and like that big movement that was happening, porn kills and all of that. It's addictive. Um, that it's addictive. Um, there's that movie Don John that came out with um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Scarlett Johansson. I forgot about that. Uh, yeah, I never saw where that. Where he has like a porn addiction and he can't, he can't really get off with his girlfriend. He has to kind of like go watch porn right after and how it ruins his whole life. You just triggered a memory. Yeah, yeah, that was stupid. Thanks, Hollywood. (laughs) Unrealistic depictions of everything. Yeah, but like also, I mean, I've seen this in in the lives of a lot of um, male friends that I have and stuff where they talk about how like they were turning to porn anytime they would get stressed out and it would be like a stress release. Um, And so I I think what it's speaking to isn't that porn is addictive, but that porn brings our brains lots and lots of dopamine as does an orgasm and how can we channel that into different mediums like what can we do you know maybe maybe not turning to porn every time you're stressed out because that's not a really healthy way to 
cope with stress. So maybe you need to learn how to cope with stress in a, a healthier way. And, and so I think a lot of the dialogue around porn is it's bad because it causes all these things. And it's like, no, porn is a bandaid that people are putting on things. Yes. Like there's other things going on. They're not addressing, which is why yes. they keep turning back to porn and why porn is a negative thing in their life. It's not the porn. That's the problem. It's the reasons they're using it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one thing that's come up in a lot of the research I've been reading is that um, believing that porn addiction is a thing is is actually really inaccurate and really unhelpful because the brain does not behave the way the brain behaves um, with other addictive substances when it comes to porn, right. which is not to say that the use of porn cannot affect someone's life, but viewing it in the addictions model does very little to help. And we have all of these for-profit rehabs and ministries that are most often church-based that are making tons of money on pushing Mm -hmm. the idea that porn is an addiction. And the, the researchers are saying, it's not an addiction. Treating it like an addiction is making it worse, but we can talk about it in, in other terms and then Mm -hmm. try to address those issues. Um, but it's it's so controversial. There's so much money behind the um, anti-porn movement. Yeah. It's massive, um, you know, organizations. And if you like look into who's behind them, they're the same folks that are connected to the mar- the movement against same-sex marriage. They're yep. the same people that are against abortion, against sex ed, um, and they're. So I'm like, why should I believe you on this issue? And why should I trust you to deliver factual content on this issue? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you can. They've, pro- they've proven themselves to be untrustworthy so many times. Yeah. I also think porn and purity culture go hand in hand a little bit because I, I've i talked about this before on an episode, but it was like way, way back. But there was this guy that I grew up with and he came out um, on Facebook saying how he was addicted to porn years after he was married. Um, But his entire reason why he was doing porn was literally just sending off flags to me. Uh, No, dude, it's because you were a victim of purity culture. Like the entire reason you're jacking off in your car is because you're trying not to have sex until you're married, like over and over and over again. But instead, like since his wife was also raised in purity culture, she was like, oh, my God, this is so bad. Our marriage is over all this Mm -hmm. stuff. So then they started like after putting all their dirty laundry on Facebook, they were like, we're hosting a meeting once a week. Come to our house if you struggle with porn addiction. And I was like, oh, my God. So I literally commented. They shared it two years in a row, which is like. Okay. <laughs> a lot. And so I commented and I was like, sir, I really think that, you know, the only reason you were looking at porn and it became, you know, something you like to do a lot is because of purity culture. I was like, you were trying not to have sex with the person you were going to marry. You were trying not to be, you know, all this stuff. And I mean, he never replied to my comment probably because mm-hmm. he knew I was right, but it's just like, <laughs> this is a trauma that- response. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And I was like, this is, you didn't have a porn addiction. Like your marriage might've been on the rocks because like, and then he started saying things about, oh, well, you know, I, I wanted to do that stuff with my wife in the bedroom. And I'm like, well, Why there's not? nothing wrong with Why talking you? about doing those types of things with your ri- wife. If she's not into it, fine. You need to respect that. But like, there's nothing wrong. It was like how it was just this 
whole like dirty horrible thing and he was like just professing his shame and his guilt Mm. all over and i was like this is so gross it just sounds like he has a shame addiction well, yeah, probably. But also, like, when you jack off in your car at, like, what, 18 because you've never had sex and you really want to have sex with your future normal. wife? That's that's what I <laughs> wanted to tell him. I was like, normal. actually, that's 100% normal. Yes. yes. You were just and- being shamed for doing something that your body, you know, and, and it shows, yeah. like, men, it's good for them to jack off Mm -hmm. i mean it's it's good for you so it's just like you were just denying yourself of all these things that your body probably just biologically wanted and you know people are shaming you now for it for using porn as sort of the quote-unquote gateway to get that release yeah and you have a shame addiction so you like sharing it on facebook so that everyone can shame you with you know shame along with you that's why i don't feel bad about talking about a story he's just kind of advertising his kink you know what i mean oh and his wife (laughs) totally shared her portion of the story and then shared his story again i was like what i bet they probably you know have sex like really hot sex after sharing that stuff it's they totally have shame kinks i I, they have to yeah, absolutely. I think also, everyone. Like, why is- would you want to put all of that out for <laughs> anyone? You're making it part of your identity. Yeah, you know, which is which is a little like, weird. The normal people in the background are like, "Cool, dude, you watch porn. Jeez, like chill. Like it's so, fine. Yeah. Like what? Pornhub what? is bookmarked in my browser. <laughs> <laughs> like chill. Another thing, um, you you both may know this already, but I find it fascinating is that one of the biggest predictors of like using porn a lot is religious shame. Yeah. So people who claim to be porn addicts, who self-report as porn addicts, most of the time are people who have a lot of religious shame around porn. And they are probably not using it any more than the average person, but yeah. they identify it as addiction because they feel so bad about it. Yeah. Yeah. There's so, so weird. There's definitely there's definitely Things that porn is good for, things that porn is not good for. We've talked about how porn can be used as a band-aid to cover up other underlying issues. That's yeah. kind of where the whole like porn addiction thing kind of comes from. Shame cycling, all of that. Um, but porn can also be really healthy. So can you talk to us a little bit about how porn can actually be a positive thing in our society? Yeah. So, oh, it's so interesting because the definition of porn is is very wide. Like when I think most of the time when we think about porn, we're thinking about the videos, we're thinking about Pornhub and like the hardcore stuff. But even if you take, you know, we create our own pornographic content all the time. When oh, we yeah. take nudes, when we send nudes, like mm-hmm. that kind when of we thing. Talk sexually. Yeah. That kind of thing can make people feel really good, really empowered, really in touch with their own sexuality. Um viewing porn can enhance our own sexual relationships with ourselves. It can also get us in the mood uh, for sex with partners. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, I mean, people use it in a multiple ways. Like for some folks who might not have as much partnered sex as they want, viewing porn and masturbating can be a wonderful way to like offload some of that horniness that you can't, yeah. you know, work out with a partner. And the, The topic of porn, oh God, it's just so big. But one of the things that's been happening increasingly is that people are making porn that's more and more geared toward what women want to see. 
Mm -hmm. Um, because the typical porn is very through the male lens, through the male gaze, where all we're, all we're seeing is like women as receptacles of men's sexual conquests. But a lot of porn is being created that specifically is made by women for women showing actual pleasure, showing people going down on women, showing actual real orgasms, um, showing body types that are not all the way that like a nineties porn star was with kind of the skinny, skinny body and the big fake boobs. So there's more diversity, um, available now. And there's more, um, content creators that are out there creating their own stuff. Mm-hmm. So like the popularity of OnlyFans, I think is, is really incredible and says a lot of really interesting things about society. We're seeing people make their own money, make their own content, and you can buy directly from the performer, yeah. which mm-hmm. means there's no middle. I mean, OnlyFans is kind of the middleman, but it's not like some, you know, giant production, like right. uh, a video right. um, that you would buy and not know like who made it or where it was created. Like when you can speak directly to performers and get custom content. It's really changed the landscape of like how porn is made and how porn is consumed. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's something to touch on too, um, about what you said about porn being made for women and like seeing different kinds of pleasure is super important. I think what we're conditioned as a society is, is seeing penetrative sex only. And, um, majority of women don't always like have orgasmic experiences just through penetration. Um, the way our anatomy is created, like, yes, can we achieve orgasm through penetration? Sure. Absolutely. The clitoris is huge. It stretches throughout (laughs) the entire vagina. You can access it from wherever in the vaginal walls. Um, but majority of us, um, really only can get that orgasm from, um, external stimulation of the clitoris, the hood of the, like the top of the clitoris. Um, and so seeing different kinds of ways to pleasure and stimulate, like a woman is really empowering. Like for me being like queer, like a ba- I'm a baby queer. So like, I haven't had a relationship with a woman yet. Um, I've had sex with women. I've hooked up with women. Um, but like, as far as like a long-term relationship that has not happened. And so for me, it's really empowering to see different kinds of pleasure that are not just penetrative sex, because it's like, it's like an educational tool for me. Yeah. Right. I'm like, Oh, okay. Like, there are so many different ways to pleasure the body and there's so many different like erogenous zones on the body. And the fact that there is now being porn, like porn is now being made to show that a little bit more. What was I watching the other night? The L word. I was watching the L word. <laughs> was it the old one or the new yeah, one? The old one. I'm watching the, I'm rewatching the old L word because I'm like, I've seen the old L word through a billion times. I'm going to know so everything amazing. you're talking okay, about. So you know the scene where Jenny is sleeping with her, the star of her movie. Yes. Okay. So you, and you know, the scene where she's just like masturbating her with her knee. And it's yeah. like the hottest sex scene ever. So my roommate is straight and she walks in the room during this scene and I'm watching and I'm just like <laughs> in it. Right. And she goes, "Fascinating." it's so funny how she's making all those noises, but like all they're doing is like rubbing her knee on her clit. And I'm oh. like, yeah, that yeah. sounds like yes. that would feel amazing. And she's like, that isn't really sex. I'm like, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Okay. But she's straight. You know, she's only ever been with men. So, and her preference might be just penetrative sex. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Everyone has mm-hmm. their preference, but like me, I'm like, this is the hottest thing I've seen all week. <laughs> yeah. And that brings up a great point, which is a big thing I work with on people coming out of purity culture is 
view expanding our definition of what sex is because even for straight women, that is so much, that's going to give you so many more options for pleasure. Right. If we view sex as only being when a penis goes in a vagina and it's done when the penis ejaculates, I'm like, we're missing out. We're leaving a lot of people out of that definition and a lot of pleasure out of that definition. Oh, yeah. So if you want to have knee humping sex and call it sex, then <laughs> I do would it. like to have knee humping sex <laughs> I and love call a good it knee sex. Hump. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like my best sexual memories when I was younger was like dry humping. I thought that was great. Like <laughs> we all love dry humping. Dry humping stimulates the clitoris. You can like come so hard from dry humping we need it's to take, we need we just to bring back bring dry humping yes. we need bring to dry back. hump again <laughs> <laughs> i love it um totally. it, this is this has been an empowering conversation i think a lot of people um should um look into what ethical porn is and how to access that um something for me personally, cause I, I do enjoy consuming my own fair share of porn is just, I feel a little desensitized and, um, also like vibrators kind of tend to like desensitize me a little bit. So something I'm like working on myself is, um, not bringing as much erotic stimulus into my forefront uh-huh. and, um, moving with more subtlety and more subtle tools. Um, maybe not using like a vibrating, dildo anymore but just like my hand, hand? yeah yeah, yeah. It up a bit. and instead of using um like a video to stimulate you know using a fantasy or um like reading some erotica yes. or and something great, like that po- like audio erotica their yeah. podcast where you just listen to the sexy story yes what is the name of that um there is a name of an app Maybe Dipsy. we'll Dipsy. Yeah, maybe we should get sponsored by them. Um, <laughs> the Dipsy. Yeah, for those I've heard who good are, things. I've heard yeah. good things about that app where you can like listen to sexy stories. And I have a very funny, quick story about that app. Um, someone who was doing the program with me subscribed to Dipsy, but forgot that her Apple account was connected to her dad's credit card. No. So her dad was like, "What is this?" Yeah, and she was just like, "Oh, it's like a, it's an educational." podcast and he's like okay (laughs) didn't ask for no further questions (laughs) he didn't he didn't look it up and she was like oh my god (laughs) that's so funny that is so funny Uh, um so before you download erotic apps everyone make sure that your apple account (laughs) is not connected to your parents account (laughs) yeah oh that's so great that's so great there's it's so many good things that we can. I feel like I could keep asking you questions, but um, we've kind of hit that hour mark, and we might. Oh need yeah, to, I mean to end the conversation. I know you probably don't want to put out a giant long podcast, but if you ever want to talk again, I'd be happy to. to we have will another conversation. We will bring you back on again for sure. Um, yes. Thank you so much for yes your wealth this was of a information. Wonderful conversation. Yeah, I feel validated. I don't feel <laughs> like a weirdo. Porn is normal. Mm-hmm. Wanting to see it as normal, getting yeah. turned on by it's normal, not liking it as normal. The range of things that are normal when it comes mm-hmm. to sex is like ridiculously vast. Yeah. 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 I I saw, I don't know if you guys have ever watched Working Moms on Netflix, but um there's no, but I've a, heard great things about it. <laughs> it's I go in and out of watching it. Sometimes it's a lot. Like sometimes it's just the episodes can be extreme and you're like, okay. I need a break. Um, but there was a gal in there. She's one of the moms and they, the whole thing is they go to this once a week thing with their babies and they all talk about their weird lives and porn came up and, um, 
one of the gals basically was like, no, I don't like it. I'd never watched it. And they were like, really? Like why? And she was like, I just feel like it's so weird to like watch other people like having sex. Like, I feel like it's none of my business. <laughs> like, like she felt like she was like in the room with them, like Aww. watching people share an yeah. intimate moment. And she was like, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't like See, it, which I, I want to do that. I no, would I like too. to, I want to go to an orgy too. and watch like, that would be so fun. Like a sex but party, never, like a high end sex yes. party. I mean, I'm there. I'm there. High end though. High, high end. end. Not nasty, high guttery. End. Like skirt stuff. club, like something like skirt club where it's like yes. women only like high end sex club. That would be amazing. But I never <laughs> totally. thought about it that way. And I thought that was interesting where she just felt like she was looking into like someone's bedroom and she thought that was really strange and weird. Yeah. That's yeah. so funny. <laughs> It is, but I'm like, their own. Hey, that is very interesting. I never thought about it that way. So. Oh my God. I, there's, you know, every, to each their own. Everyone has their own perceptions. I, I don't think it's ever wise to try to convert anyone into your way of thinking. I think that even if like you don't necessarily agree with how they feel, like I've, I've met people who are, you know, not Christian, not coming from a Christian background. I was going to say, Christians are screaming right now at the fact yeah, that Yeah, Christians are screaming, but like, but <laughs> other people, you know, who are like, oh no, I'm not into porn. It's gross. It's nasty. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I kind of like it and that's kind of where the conversation stops neither of us are trying to convert each other it's like okay well cool i'm not going to subject you to watching porn and you're not going to make me stop so we're good (laughs) imagine if we could all just act like that with a lot of for everything for every single thing yeah Big. Well, thank you so much, Erica. If you want to drop your socials right now, um, your website, um, best way to get a hold of you, or how to sign people, up for your yeah. You how know, do people courses. find you? And then how do they enroll for this webinar that you're hosting? And then um, also the Purity Culture Dropout Program. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I am most active on Instagram. My Instagram name is Erica Smith. Sex. Ed. Erica spelled with a C. Um, I have my website, purityculturedropout.com, and there you can find information about the program, about doing one-on-one sessions with me, which you can do without enrolling in the whole program. You can just like book me for an hour to talk about anything. Um, Enrolling for the conversation about porn class, you can also find that on my website. And once or twice a year, usually twice a year, I run a series of support groups for queer people who were raised in purity culture. So I will be enrolling those groups again in the fall for anyone who's interested. Um, you can put your name on the waiting list for that. Yeah. And always, yeah, reach out to me via email, ericasmith.med at gmail. Um, much easier to communicate with me that way because my DMs are, there's flooded. lots of them. Yeah. <laughs> flooded. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, don't DM me if you want me to actually see your DM or your message. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much, Erica. Um, I'm going to definitely try to, um, I'm going to register for your webinar. I may be there live. I may watch the recording, That'd be great. but I would love to participate in that. So you'll see my name. Awesome. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so, so, so much. Um, and we will see you guys next week. See you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to cheers to leaving sound and editing by Cameron Smith please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Please subscribe and share with your friends and others who are deconstructing. Are you looking for a safe space to deconstruct and be in community with others who are also in the same process? Join our Facebook support group. 
just answer the questions when you request to join. Be a part of the conversation, meet like-minded individuals, and get some support. Find the link in our show notes or search for Cheers to Leaving support group on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram at Cheers to Leaving. Email us at cheers to leaving at gmail.com with your stories about leaving evangelicalism. See you next week.